I have a confession to make this morning after I take a drink of water. I have never watched Duck Dynasty. Um, I'm not proud of it. That's just the shameful truth. It, uh, it is a show that has been a smashing success, and the Robertson family apparently has a really powerful Christian testimony, as, as I hear. Uh, who knew that Christian duck hunters were marketable? Phil Robertson, the head honcho of the show, didn't think that the show would actually work. And Phil said, I was 100% convinced Duck Dynasty would never work. It just goes to show how little I know about today's world because I was dead wrong. For the life of me, I can't figure out why people are so attracted to my family. And I think some of the appeal and credit has to go to those rockin' beards. Uh, Those guys are rockin' that. But anyway, the show has uh, apparently broken a lot of network records. Um, The season four premiere was the most watched non-fiction cable episode weighing in at 11.8 million people. That's sweet for uh, redneck Christian duck hunters with rockin' beards. That's pretty sweet. In an interview with Family Christian about his book titled Happy, 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 Phil Robertson said, basically, happy, happy, happy just describes the ultimate rarest of commodities, peace of mind peace of mind. That's what I meant by the phrase, he says. And he's right. Peace of mind is precious, and it is so rare these days. So many people are starving for peace of mind. People try all kinds of things uh, to attain it from meditation to medication. What a precious gift it is. Well, what is peace? The Bible talks a lot about peace. The Old Testament word for peace is probably one that you're really familiar with, shalom. You might have heard the word shalom. That's Hebrew. A pastor and theologian, Tim Keller, says shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. He continues, it describes a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied And natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. God created everything with a thriving balance of wholeness, relationship, and peace because shalom displays God's goodness and glory. Dr. Keller gives three excellent examples to illustrate shalom. I'd like to read for you. It's a sizable quote. I think it's printed in your in your bulletin insert so you can follow along, but he just nails it out of the park to describe for you what shalom is. Physically, when your body's working properly, every part works with all the others. But if if you have cancer, it means a part of your body is at odds with the others. You experience the unraveling of physical shalom. Psychologically, your inner psyche has various parts, thoughts, feelings, and reason. When they're working together, you experience inner shalom, peace. But when your feelings crave something that troubles your conscience, you experience guilt, which means you experience the unraveling of psychological shalom. Financially, when people have money, resources, and advantages, when they plunge themselves Uh, plunge them into the human community so the parks are great and the schools are great and the houses are great, you have a strong social fabric. You experience social shalom. But when the wealthy ignore the less fortunate, when they hold on to everything, the social fabric unravels. 
So you can see that peace is so much more than just the absence of warfare or no fighting. It is so much more complete and whole than that. Peace is more than the lack of fighting. Peace is the beautiful and joyful union and relationship of everything working together in a coordinated dance of well-being and wholeness. Folks, shalom is the way things should be. It's the way things should be. Shalom is peace with God and peace with our fellow man. And sin totally kills and disrupts shalom. Last week we looked briefly at Jeremiah 29.11. The NIV uses the term prosper, but the ESV is more accurate. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness. Wholeness, not just prosperity, but wholeness and not for evil to give you a hope and a future. How we absolutely crave to be whole beings. The New Testament Greek word arene captures the same meaning of shalom. Uh, Peace is not fighting, but it's a whole lot more. Arene and shalom is what God created in the Garden of Eden. What God looked at and said, it is good, or saw it, and it was good. And for this peace to work, you need God. Peace flourishes in God. Peace flourishes in God. The Father, Son, and Spirit exist in perfect peace. Peace flourishes in God. Multiple times, Paul refers to God as the God of peace. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, he's called the Lord of peace. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Isaiah 9, as probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, prophecy around the time of Christmas. Isaiah, he brings prophecies of judgment and restoration to God's people and uh, his rebellious people, Judah, and he offers hope for salvation in the Messiah. Now keep in mind that this was written uh, around, give or take, a bunch of years, uh, 700 years before Jesus Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace, or Prince of Shalom. He's the Prince of Well-Being, the ruler of completeness and good order. His authority and power restore and protect peace. Isaiah continues in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The reign of King Jesus restores peace for the nations. There are no boundaries to his peace. Now, can you see why fellowship with God is so important for peace, for having peace in your life? Sin breaks our relationship with God and severs us from his peace, but Jesus restores peace. Jesus restores peace. The outcome of sin is disturbed peace. And if you're like me, when you sin, you recognize, I am not at peace. This disrupts everything. It gets in the way. It throws me off. And so we know from experience that sin absolutely destroys peace. Sin has made us restless and anxious, even antagonistic against God. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. All disobedience and sin is hostility against God. James states it another way. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, outside of God's grace, there is no shalom. There is no peace. Only guilt and condemnation and judgment and all of those things drive out peace. You see, living in the flesh disturbs marriages. It disturbs families and workplaces and churches. Instead of peace, the flesh brings upheaval and instability. Here's the truth that makes all the difference. Jesus entered into the war zone to make peace. Jesus entered into the instability of humanity to restore peace and order. Now, sometime this week, if you get some moments, how about you make some moments, to study and just ponder Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. It will quiet your soul if you believe what you're reading in Isaiah 53. You see, Isaiah... Uh, describes in the 53rd chapter the humility of Jesus, how he was despised and rejected, knowing sorrow and grief, and how he took our griefs and how he carried our sorrows. We esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, Jesus entered into our conflict. He entered into our conflict, but watch what he did, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now how did Jesus bring us peace? He suffered and died in our place. He took the blow for us. Our peace and healing come at the expense of one man getting tortured and killed, a man who suffered the wrath of God, a man that became all the terrible sins that we ever committed, all so that God would consider us his righteousness. This is what Paul called the gospel of peace, what Peter called the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes peace through the cross. What Colossians 1.20 describes as making peace by the blood, by the blood of his cross. Through his blood, Jesus reconciles us to God. The Bible calls Jesus our peace. For he has reconciled us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He killed the hostility. We are hostile to God, but the cross killed that hostility and gave birth to something new. He gave birth to peace. But the cross is only effective for those who believe. So can you see the connection that believers aren't going to have peace? But unbelievers are not going to have peace. But believers who trust in the finished work of Christ absolutely will have peace because he kills the hostility Paul tells the Christians of Rome, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Shalom is restored. It's restored. It's given back. Things are made right again by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Imagine Jesus knowing all of your ugliness, all of your sin, all of your sin, 
every single place that you misstep and misbehave and get out of line, imagine him saying to you, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. No more embarrassment. No more condemnation. No more restlessness. Just peace. At the end of his life, Jesus told his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He said on another occasion, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do you know that Jesus can actually restore your shalom, your wholeness, your peace? He can give that to you. Can you see why Jesus is such a blessing? Can you see why we get excited about Jesus, excited about the good news of peace? Because he brings wholeness again. God's peace blesses your life in amazing ways. His peace blesses your life in amazing ways. Faith activates peace. Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Imagine that. All joy and all peace when we believe. We get that. God gives it to us by His grace. Psalm 29, 11 says, May the Lord bless His people with peace. Psalm 37, 11 says that the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. A few verses later in Psalm 37, 37, David sings, there is a future for the man of peace. Proverbs 12, 20 says those who plan peace have joy. Can you see the rewards of peace? What peace gives us? The amazing things that we enjoy because of peace. There's one thing that I love about God, lots of things I love about him, but one of those things is that God gives us the extraordinary. He gives us the extraordinary. He gives us above and beyond what we could ask or even imagine or even think. Okay, he doesn't simply give peace. He gives perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So the mind that is continually focused on God, who trusts in God, experiences what the Bible calls perfect peace. That's extraordinary. That's above and beyond. God leads us to extraordinary things. He doesn't lead us out to be disappointed in Him. He doesn't lead us out to things that are second rate or or somehow low on the totem pole. He leads us out for the best of things. Perfect peace. God says in Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. What businessman does not want profit for his business? Profit is really good if you haven't noticed. We love profit. And God teaches us and he leads us in the way that we should go to profit. God's leadership takes us to success. And not just material success, so much more than that. That's selling it short. He teaches us through his word how to live and how to prosper. Isaiah continues in verses 18 and 19. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, he says. A river. If we pay attention to God's commandments, he will gush peace, a continual flow of peace into our lives 
God doesn't trickle peace. He overflows it into our lives. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 54, 13, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Great. This is no small amount. This is mega. Big doses of peace. This is why God is so desirable. He is above and beyond. He is great. He is unfathomable. And what he gives is unfathomable. His peace does something else incredible for us. God's peace protects our mind. God's peace protects your mind. How we think is so critical to our lives. Controlling our thoughts. Uh, being disciplined in what we think about. It's hard not to be over, overwhelmed. When life completely just spirals out of control, we don't know which way is up, our thought life is going crazy, we need to find the center, we need to get back. Well, God's peace does this. I found out from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America that $42 billion a year is spent on anxiety disorders in America. That's a, just a little shy of one-third of the total mental health bill. I read that people with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. I also read that it's common for someone with an anxiety disorder to also suffer from depression and vice versa. Anxiety is a widespread problem. We're good at being anxious in America. Now, whatever you think about mental illness, okay, anxiety is disobedience to God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious about your life. Now, sometimes we just flat out miss how absolutely practical and down to earth what Jesus said was. That is so clear. Look, folks, don't be anxious about your life. That's a command. That's straight from Jesus' mouth. So to be anxious is to disobey what Jesus has for you. That's a command. And God doesn't leave us then without a weapon to battle anxiety in our lives. So he's not just like, you know what, don't be anxious. Have fun with that. You know, he gives us something to then battle the anxiety in our lives. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. There's God's command again. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So God desires us to battle anxiety, to commit war against anxiety with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. We need to ask God for what we need, and we need to ask with a grateful heart. If we obey, his promise then is this, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will. God will guard your heart. The peace of God stands on guard at the entrance of your heart with unrivaled spiritual firepower to fight off anxiety. When we pray, God hears us. Can we just say amen to that? God hears us. He's not just didn't get that last one. He knows. 
He hears. He's interested. He listens. He answers prayer. Yes, no, or just wait a while, and then I'll give you a yes or no. He will give us peace, and that peace will guard our heart and mind in the power of Jesus. And notice that this peace of God surpasses all understanding. What that means is that God's peace is better than our ability to just reason it out and to think our circumstance through. Folks, there are things beyond our lives that we cannot, in our lives, that we just can't understand. I mean, if you spent days just trying to reason it out, if you made a sheet and started taking notes and just said, yeah, I'm going to make sense of this, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to make sense of it. There are things that just don't make sense. But you see, God's peace surpasses our ability to understand our circumstances. Our reason and logic fail us often. God doesn't. The peace that he gives is powerful enough to handle all of your anxiety, every last bit of your anxiety. Because he transcends your ability to make sense of your circumstances. God is bigger than us. He understands. He knows what the plan looks like. Trusting God means that you're not alone. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and the Spirit produces peace in you. Galatians 5.22 says that a peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Two points about that. Number one, we can't produce peace in ourselves by just trying harder. I'm just going to set my mind to be more peaceful. Mm, God has to give it. God has to give it. God's Holy Spirit sovereignly produces peace in us when we trust Him, We need him. Number two, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we will also have peace. He will give it to us. I think we sell the Holy Spirit short. I think in my battle against the sins that I deal with so regularly, I think I sell the power of the Holy Spirit short. And I get this victim mentality. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like, I have to fall into this sin again. It's like pathetic. And we beat us, and then we're like, I just did this yesterday, and I'm just going to do it again tomorrow and the next day. And, and we become these pathetic things. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's just me, all right? Maybe I'm just pathetic. But when are we going to give the power or, or give uh, the Holy Spirit um, the recognition that he deserves? He is God. He is in us. He gives us power to have peace. If you are a Christian with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, by faith, he will give you peace. You will be okay. You will endure whatever you're going through and you will come out the other side victorious because Jesus Christ is on his throne and he is victorious in you. Can we believe that power of the Holy Spirit? That's not to say we don't struggle. Amen? Every time we just get beat down and we just lose the peace. But then what what do we do? We come back to the cross and we believe. And he gives us peace. He restores our peace. We will be restless at times. We will struggle at times. We will get anxious and say, God, I sinned again. I got anxious today. I got all bent out of shape about that. And he said, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still here. I'll get you through. You trust me. Keep your eyes on me. That's why he's so amazing, because he actually comes through. He actually honors his promises. Isaiah 32, 17 says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. Isn't that awesome? The effect of righteousness will be peace. 
Jesus is so awesome to guard us by this amazing gift of peace. But peace is not only defense, it's offense. It's offense. We can change society and culture with peace. We can change. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And he deploys us, his people, equipped with his powerful peace as agents of change in society and culture. How would you describe our society and culture? I don't think peace is probably going to be one of the words quick to come to mind. And I think James does an an amazing job at describing the American culture. He wasn't talking about America, but this totally describes it. He's spot on for America, James 3.16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, mm -hmm, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Do we see disorder in our culture? Do we see disorder in families and schools and businesses, our communities? Do we see every vile practice in the news constantly getting beat over the head with bad news? That's our society and culture in a nutshell. America thrives on selfish ambition. Look around, and James continues with what I believe is our mission to be peacemakers in society and culture. Verse 17 and 18, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sown in peace. We're scattering peace. Everywhere we go, scattering peace and waiting for the harvest of righteousness. That sounds pretty good to me. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are those who restore peace between people. Uh, They are reconcilers. Maybe two friends. Something that happened Uh, haven't talked to each other for many, many years. A peacemaker enters into the relationship, that severed relationship between those friends, and works to restore that peace, that wholeness, that relationship between those. Peacemakers work with those people to reconcile them, to restore relationship. Followers of Jesus make peace. This applies to us. Jerusalem Church is a peacemaking militia, Get that? I think that's a good imagery. We are an army released by Jesus Christ to go into culture and make peace. Now, I don't know about you. I'm scared of society and culture. There is darkness like crazy everywhere you turn. But we've got a sweet general. And he's behind us. And he sends us out equipped into dark places to restore shalom, to restore peace. That is our vision. That is, that is the, the vision of this church to restore peace to culture and society. We want to see peace restored in marriages and families and schools and businesses and organizations and politics one person at a time. Why? Why risk our necks out there for those people that aren't very friendly? And sometimes we're not very friendly either. But you get my point. I'm not trying to say those people. You know, we struggle too. <laughs> All right? But the people who are just broken peace, they don't have peace with God, they're struggling with sin like we are, but they don't have Christ in that struggle. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? 
Why do we take peace to them? Because we want people to experience shalom. We want our culture here in Manheim, Lidditz, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, we want that to be categorized by shalom, by peace, for the glory of God. We do it to enrich life, to, to put life right again, and for our joy in Him. Also notice in Matthew 5, 9 that peacemakers are blessed. They're happy. Peace is pleasurable and profitable and powerful. Peace is pleasurable and profitable and powerful. Those who spend their lives making peace will absolutely be blessed. So how do we make peace in society and culture? Well, one way is to pray. To pray. So that you can live a peaceful, quiet, and dignified life. Listen to Paul's counsel to Timothy. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray for all kinds of people, politicians, businessmen, teachers, the school boards, neighbors, so that we can live a peaceful and quiet and dignified and godly life. We pray like this so that we may experience peace and the culture may experience peace. Prayer is powerful. Wouldn't you agree that you want to live a whole life, a peaceful life, a quiet life? Then pray for people. Pray for your society. Pray for culture. Our greatest mission is not to sit in the pew. This is not all that you were meant for, just to come here and sit here. You were called to get in the game, start committing warfare by praying for people. And and I need to hear this because I am one of the worst prayers here. Let's just say that. (laughs) I am. All right? And there are some of you faithful prayer warriors, and you know who you are. You're just committing battle through prayer. And I want to thank God and praise God for you. We need you to be in the game and to be praying because it makes a difference. We must do more than show up. We need to go to work. Every single one of your prayers that you utter in the name of someone else, every prayer for revival and life change and forgiveness, every time that you make a decision to promote peace at work and to resolve conflicts and to give gentle answers that deflate anger, and every time you talk to a friend about Christ and how he can help them in the middle of their conflicts, You are engaging the mission of God in society and culture. You are being a peacemaker and therefore pursuing your greatest joy in God. If we are to lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things for the glory and worship of God, then we need to be peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers. We need to live to restore shalom. That requires you to trust God and to live courageously. And peace does more. God's peace promotes growth in a church. God's peace promotes growth in the church. After the Apostle Paul was saved and began his preaching ministry, Luke writes that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So being built up is a construction term. If some of you have built houses before, The church is being built, and the peace is part of that construction process. Verse 31 continues, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
So the church is exploding, it's multiplying. People are coming to know Jesus Christ by faith, being gathered into the church, having their shalom restored. So stuff is shaken up because in the church is peace. It's where peace is found. We have a commodity here in our church that they desperately, outside of the church, people who are rejecting God right now, they desperately need, and it's peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Isn't it true that healthy things grow? Good soil and good climate and good seed produce what? Good fruit, a good crop. Okay, in a farming community, we understand that. That makes total sense. We grow when God's peace is at work in us. We grow as a group. We grow as a team. We grow as a family. We grow as an army when God's peace is at work in us. And I believe that God desires more people in our community to experience this wholeness, to experience this peace. So we have a lot of work to do, don't we? Let's get really practical now. I want to end by, uh, by giving you and answering the question, what can we do to work for peace? What can you do? Give, give me something practical, Jonathan. Give me something practical. Here we go. Let's get practical. Steps toward peace. Number one, turn and sprint from youthful lusts in hot pursuit of peace in God. 1 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue peace. So when you're a teenager, the hormones are going crazy. They're just bouncing out of control and they're running wild and the maturity of self-control is being developed. We all have an appetite for lust and Paul says to run from these passions or lust. You have to say no to some things. What things in your life stoke the fire of your youthful passions? You need to identify these things and you need to be courageous enough to say no. No. You need to say no now and get them out of your life and start pursuing peace. That might just be why you're not experiencing peace because there's some things that aren't being dealt with in your life. Number two, strive for peace with everyone. That's a direct quote from Hebrews 12, 14. If you've ever played Steal the Bacon, you remember that kid's game, Steal the Bacon? The, the, the one kid runs out, the two kids actually because their numbers are called, and the one grabs the flag and turns to run, and what does the other kid do? He chases him. He, he runs after him to try to tag him. Well, what should we do with peace? Strive for it. Chase after it. That's the idea of striving. Run after it. Chase peace, and you do that with everyone. Number three, seek peace. 1 Peter 3.11 says he must seek peace and pursue it. Peter is quoting from Psalm 34. If you've ever played the game hide and go seek tag, you have the kid released and he's going out and he's looking for people and he's searching, he's looking behind the barn, he's looking behind the house, he's looking you know, in the, the hay bales and he's looking and then he finds and he chases after it. And that's the idea here. Look for peace and then you chase it with everything you have. Seek peace. We must seek peace. Number four, be diligent to be found at peace. 2 Peter 3.14 says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So God is calling you to do your very best to be, at, to be found at peace. Number five, live peaceably with everyone. In Romans 12, 18, uh, yeah, 12 uh, verse 18, Paul writes, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Isn't it true we cannot control what other people do, but we can control what we do. And so as far as it's concerned with you, be at peace with other people. 
be at peace. If they're warring against you, that doesn't mean you have to war back. Be at peace. You worry about yourself. Okay, and this fleshes out in verses 19 through 21. Paul says uh, not to avenge ourselves, but to allow God to take vengeance. Instead, we should give to the hungry, feed the hungry. Um, uh, Our enemy, give them food. Our thirsty enemy, give them drink. See, we dominate evil with good. So trust God, be kind, serve others so peace can prosper. Kill them with kindness, as I've heard it said. Number six, set your mind on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 6 says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So we all think, and the idea is to get our thinking off of just this stuff here that clogs it on. We need to think about that stuff, but primarily we need to focus on the Holy Spirit. We need to get our thoughts heavenward so that we can have that inner peace. Number seven, do good. Do good. God tells us in Romans 2, 9 and 10, that there will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. We've got to live good lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in us by His grace. Let's start doing good, Jerusalem Church. Number eight, submit yourself to the authority of Christ's peace in your heart. Paul wrote in Colossians three fifteen, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is to umpire. You know, when you go to the Phillies game, you look down on the field, they have umpires. And what are those guys doing? They're, they're making judgments, all right? They're making the calls. And that's what we need to do to come underneath the authority of Christ's peace and allow peace to make the calls for our lives, to judge our hearts, to decide for us. To be a Christian is to submit to Jesus as master and his peace will reign in you. I think, um, what's the duck hunter's name? The hick duck hunter, Phil? Robertson? All right. Phil Robertson was right. Peace is a rare commodity. And uh, you're not going to be able to find it on sale this Christmas at Boscob's. It's not going to be there. Will anything from under your tree this Christmas give you that peace that you crave? I hope you receive what your heart really craves this Christmas. I hope you get true and lasting peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your peace that comes through Jesus Christ alone. We thank you that we are not left alone here to just struggle and bite and claw our way through life, uh, trying to work up peace or somehow find it in some huge search. No, the search can come to an end this morning because Jesus Christ is peace. This is simple. This is the good news of the gospel that when we trust Christ, we get that peace that that he gives. And so God, release peace on this congregation May we be at peace and then may we fight outside of these walls in our community to bring peace to people's lives, to bring shalom, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness. God, your Holy Spirit can do it. Make us willing. Make us ready to be captivated by your vision and mission for our church. In Christ's name we pray.